And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I'm excited about today's show. Alex Bloomberg is going to be here. Alex is a, a giant in the world of podcasting, which means that uh, the people who care about him and about what he, he does are kind of fanatical. To a lot of the world, uh, he's probably anonymous, but his work um, isn't anonymous to anybody. He's an award-winning journalist. He was a part of This American Life, was one of the founders of Planet Money, won the DuPont Award for Journalism, uh, which is given out by Columbia University, a very important uh, and prestigious journalistic award. And he has embarked um, on a really incredibly fascinating project, which is called Startup. And it's a podcast that documents his uh, this venture, uh, which is building his own podcasting network, uh, starting a business. And it's a real um, audio cinema verite approach um, to self-documentation. And although I want to talk to Alex about the extent to which he's aware of the fact that he's recording, um, what you take away as a listener, what I take away as a listener, is um, that he's showing us in as close to real time as he can with a little bit of perspective and distance, exactly what he's feeling and thinking uh, and how he's processing. And uh, he's a great audio storyteller, and uh, I couldn't recommend the podcast more. So he'll be here in a couple of seconds. Uh, and um, I'm really eager to talk to him. We've never met, never spoken, never communicated. So uh, I'll be meeting him as you guys are meeting him. I want to thank you for the... Uh, tweets and uh, reviews and ratings on iTunes. It's always great to see it. I'm so glad that uh, so many of you are digging it and are engaged and uh, you know having this conversation with me. If you want to talk to me more directly, you can email themomentbk at gmail.com. You can email me about anything as long as it's not a screenplay or a pitch for a screenplay or teleplay idea. Anything else is welcome. And um, and I hope you will continue to engage and listen and be a part of this. And soon, Alex Bloomberg will be a part of it too. Thanks for listening. So um, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for inviting me. It's, a, it's fun. Yeah, yeah I, um, I love the show. I, I think that it's the... Um, it's a really it's definitely a, a brave thing to do in a, in a certain way it's a really smart thing to do mm -hmm. yeah it's me and like a, 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 a Navy SEALs team that's sort of the safe level of bravery I think that's yeah <laughs> I'm well, like I'll, you know I'm taking a yeah no I mean I'm taking an emotional risk certainly but like it's not yes but, but it, it, it does feel like I will say it's it's scary no it, what it is true yeah. by the way in, in mm -hmm. um, any sort of artistic endeavor when people apply the word brave it feels uh it, it never feels like a deserved thing and and that's true of course um physical bravery true physical bravery especially um in the service of someone or something other than yourself is uh, a level of yeah. bravery that and i should be clear i am not 
physically brave. <laughs> I'm no, not just a brave person. Walking in here, I sort of sensed it, but I'm a coward when it comes to most things. I do, I will, uh, I, I, I will, I do have a willingness to put my own, uh, my own fears and worries on, uh, on, on stage. I guess more than more than some people. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is a a great thing. Um, the way in which your show and I, I've introduced you before you got here, so mm-hmm. I talked a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but w- right as you as you thought of it, and then I, we'll go. We should back up and um, sort of get you to this point. But you were even at Planet Money, although you would put yourself in stories. You were primarily. It seems to me in 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 the game of doing objective journalism, um, with a very specific point of view that might have been subjective. But other than on certain things, that the shirt, it, it wasn't about you. It was about how can I, with the knowledge base I have, explain to you guys listening what's really going on from my perspective. Mm-hmm. How did the decision to do this and to be this um, open and, and free come come about? Um, well. I mean, I, I guess it's sort of. Um, it, I think it's sort of the same approach that we took at Planet Money, which is sort of like the the the, the what you want to do is is like people always told, said that we were explainers. You know, we were really good at the explainer, and and I always like I agree. Like we tried to explain things, and that was a, that was a thing. But if it if it's just an explainer, it's just like that's Wikipedia. And what you need is you need a is you need a story that will help you explain the thing. And so we were always looking for a vessel. Of explanation, we're always looking for like a guide into this strange world that we could sort of s- stick some explanation on top of. But really, you're listening to a story, and and as I was sort of getting to this thing of starting this company, I was like, oh, this is a this is a thing. Like you hear all sorts of stuff about starting a company, but there's not really a story that you can attach what's happening to. And I'm all of a sudden that story. I have great access to myself, <laughs> you know, unprecedented access. But, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is a bit, but. Uh, um, but at Planet Money and at This American Life, um, you're able to vet for the truth. I think you may have, you may have total access to yourself, but it, it's harder to vet yourself for truth. Well, I mean, I, I, on one level, on the other, who knows better than yourself? Who, you know, when you're bullshit, you know, like I, I mean, you know, yes and no. Like, I do. What do you think? Uh, are, are you, <laughs> I mean, are you are you thinking? I mean, I will tell you that, like. As far as I'm aware of, like it's 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 been entirely. There's not anything that's not true in in this. Right, but yeah. but you know when, no no, it's more. Um, I I wonder as I listen to it when you capture certain moments, when you're both the 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 subject of the thing. I mean, it's it's you know part of the danger of memoir in any form. Yeah. Um, it's not the the only filter is the same filter that the actor himself has yeah absolutely and and if somebody else were if somebody else were following me around with a microphone and telling the story they would probably be telling a slightly different story um although you know i probably the tape that i'm choosing you know to play is probably the best tape <laughs> i would imagine like i i think there wouldn't we wouldn't probably be that far apart um you know there's some stuff that you just can't put on because it's like a violation of confidence or whatever. There's, there are sort of things that we can't reveal about, like you know, the sort of deals that we're trying to get arranged and stuff like that. But, but you know, of the 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 emotional stuff, like the 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 hopes and fears, like it's that's the that's the real stuff. Like there hasn't been much stuff that I've like. The stuff I'm leaving out is stuff where like, you know, we're trash talking somebody who we don't want to trash talk. You know. Yeah. But, 
Yes, but I, I guess, um, you know, I think you, you, you thought I was talking primarily about um, the rigor that you have once the tapes are um, recorded with choosing and presenting honestly. Uh-huh. But I'm also, and, and maybe even more, talking about, as you know, things in nature, um, when things are observed. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle. When, when things are observed, they act, they act differently, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and especially when, when you're uh, playing all, the, all these roles and yeah. when you know as a storyteller, um, you know, you're such a gifted storyteller that when you know a certain architecture yeah. of oh, a story would yeah. work, how do you turn that off in the moment? Oh, uh, yeah. No, I didn't realize what you were asking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Like there is a, there is your, your. It is two different. Like there are, there are times when I am like, like literally inside myself as a radio producer, I'm like, please say no, please say no, please say no. It's better for the story. It's better for the story if you say no. And as a, and as a person trying to start a business, I'm like, please say yes, please say yes, please say yes. <laughs> Screw the story. And I don't, and I often don't know who to trust. You know, I mean, I don't know what to be going for you know what i mean like because like because it is there is a version of this that where it would if let's say i went out and it worked out exactly how i want it to where like i was like hey i'm doing this thing we write a check and they're like sure here's a check that's not a story it's a bad story yeah. you know and 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 um and uh and then there's the the other version which is sort of like i need to get some people to write some checks at a certain point right like of course. otherwise like this is an exercise in futility so no that tension has been there forever and also it's a whole different part of your brain like and and like you know the first story, the first episode that we did, which is the one where um, the, this investor Chris Saka sort of like um, basically just like when you pitch and your voice goes high, my voice goes high, my voice is cracking, I'm doing a horrible job, and he basically is straight over like just sort of like you're doing it, you're doing it wrong, do it again, you're doing it wrong, do it again, and then finally he gives me my pitch back to him, back to me the way I should have given it to him, and it's this great, it's a great moment, and that was in entirely accidental because at that point I was like I'm going to record this thing but I am not thinking as a producer I was very much thinking like I want I want the money I'm not like this you know screw the radio like I just want or you know screw the audio I just wanted like I'm really thinking like I wasn't thinking and like my sort of miking is off and it was you know like he knew <laughs> it's almost like you know um it's almost like he knew the one that, what the story needed better than I did at that point because I was like – and then I got back and I was like, oh, this is great. This is a great story. Well, yeah, when he turned yeah. around and pitched it to you. Yeah, totally. Like, that's a real storytelling moment. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I guess um, – I mean, I've been – I've the the day each one's come out, I've, I listened mm-hmm. to those first two right away and then was really waiting and, and um, was uh, really upset when you said there were only going to be maybe eight. Yeah, six. Is that still the case? No, there's going to be more than that. Like it's just because there's more material, and the, and, the, and then and we weren't ex- we didn't know that this would like sort of like we, we didn't know that it would touch a chord, and we didn't know that we like I had no idea if this was going to be good, sustainable, anything. You know, this is sort of like I, I want to try it. I want to document this experience. It'll, maybe it'll generate some buzz. Right. Yeah. I know? wondered. I mean, I wondered even when you were there with Chris, if if going out there. You were certain you'd have a show or you weren't sure yet oh, if no. it would be a show. Well, nothing about this process has been certain. Like nothing has been like I was like part of it was like I, I it part of it was like it just felt in the DNA of stuff that I'd done before. So I felt like I should do it. But it was more like a a feeling that I had like it it, it probably couldn't hurt to have it documented. But I didn't know. 
I had no idea if it was going to be good. I had no idea if anybody was going to want to listen to it. You know what I what I I knew that like it was an idea that I wanted to do sort of from the beginning, but I had no idea if it was going to work out. So let's let's just back up for a second because um, the thing that this show is about um, is my my fascination with um, it seems to me that people who accomplish remarkable things process the big moments. The, the moment, you know, the inflection points in their lives kind of differently than the rest of us do. Um, they're able to kind of recognize these moments sometimes and then um, in failure or success, take a whole bunch of stuff for next time. And, and you know, from the outside, it seems like you've had a couple of these moments uh, where you've made big transitions mm-hmm. that have worked out well, maybe even better than y- you thought and because they they seemed like pretty big risks at the time. Right. So I'm wondering if you would just talk about, for people who might not know, how, you know, where you were before you really started doing radio, before mm. this story on American Life that led to Planet Money, and, and, and what factors went into you? You, had a, you were a journalist teaching... I was, yeah. I mean, I guess if you think about it, like, it's sort of like, you know, like the, the first big moment for me was like the decision to go into journalism in the first place. And uh, I don't know, I'd like been, you know, I went to Oberlin College and I was like, you know, I, I graduated and I'd been a social worker for a while and then I was a, and then I was a teacher for a while. And I'd always sort of like loved narrative journalism and like I read, you know, Harper's back in the heyday and I was like, where'd, into you, that. where'd you grow up? I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, and is that where you, when did you coach, you coach basketball somewhere along the way? Oh, uh, yeah, I had to coach that in Chicago. Yeah. I was like, a little, I mean, five-year-olds. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't really playing basketball. Um, but, uh, so at yeah. Oberlin, you're social worker. Yeah. And I was a teacher. I taught eighth grade science. Oh yeah. And then I taught, yeah, that's right. I taught the, I taught the, I taught the basketball team at, at, at uh, near North Montessori school in my seventh and eighth grade science teacher. Yeah. Uh, so I was a t- science teacher and the basketball coach there. Um, so in your late twenties, yeah, this is in my late twenties, and then yeah. and had you thought this is the life? Like, wh- I, wh- wh- had you thought to yourself, oh, this is basically what I want to do? Is that what your goals were at I th- one point? I, I thought so. I didn't know. I mean, I think you know, in retrospect, I was sort of like I thought that's what I was capable of, and I didn't think that I was. It didn't seem to me that like people like the thing that I really wanted to do, which was sort of be a narrative journalist. <laughs> I was like, how in the world am I a middle class Jewish kid ever going to do that? You know, like it, like it's obvious. It's it's like ridiculous in retrospect. Like that's you know, that's that, that's you know, who goes. I mean, how do those people are journalists, right? right? You know, but at the time, it felt like. Uh, it felt like the impossible. It felt like I was like, you know, it was either, you know, like I could be, uh, you know, I could, I could have articles in Harper's Magazine or I could like tour with the Rolling Stones and they're both equally distant from my, you know. Well, like, Harper seemed yeah. impossible. <laughs> yeah, it seemed impossible. And I don't know why that was, um, but I think it was just sort of like that's, that. Well, well because um, I wonder if, uh, I know when I was growing up, it seemed like those people were anointed. Um, they were picked at a young at a young age and recognized, and so it seemed like because uh, I was thirty when I changed my life and became a writer. So yeah. I, you know, I had the same sort of yeah. So was I be- uh, yeah. be- belief that uh, those are special people. Yeah, they have a thing that's magical. They've been picked, recognized, and and the, the audacity to do that. Uh, you know, like when you say you were capable of that, you go, "That's what I was capable of," but I don't. You don't mean. Um, I wondered. You, you you don't mean I'm capable of 
teaching science. You mean that's all I'm uh, That's all I was capable of. That's yeah, a different thing. No, different no, thing. absolutely. And, 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 uh, and yeah, absolutely. Like I felt like the people who were writing in magazines was, that was something that was like, that was, that somebody like me was never going to have access to. And that those people were somehow special. And like, I had no idea how you became, how you went from where I was to becoming one of those people. And it just felt like, you know, it just felt like this very rarefied world. It felt like a world of like celebrity and, and, you know, um, but, but that, that was crazy. Like, obviously, like, you know, I went – I was like – I was a good student. I went to a good school. Like, I was like – you know, I was like – you know, I came from a good home. Like, it wasn't like – you know, there wasn't any – I don't well, know why I wonder I why you thought – when you say you came from a good home, but were your – did your parents encourage sort of like – um you know, going after your dreams? Or were they like, get a good job and make sure you can take care of your family? Uh, th- neither, really. Like, they weren't like, they they were like, they weren't like, you know, sort of like, you know, make sure you do something, you know, you know, no artists in my home, you know, like, that. it wasn't like that. And like, they were, they read these magazines themselves. That's why I came into contact with it. Like, the New Yorkers were always lying around our house. Like, it was like a family of sort of intellectual type people. I don't know. It's just, like, I've wondered about that now in retrospect. Like, sort of like, now that I know that, like, everybody in this world is sort of like, comes essentially from the same circumstances that I came from, why at the time it felt so foreign, but it did. Anyway, and like, so the moment, though, so I had this girlfriend. And, you know, we'd sort of, like, had this, like, long relationship. And I was maybe going to break up with her. And then I decided, no, I'm going to commit to her. And then she broke up with me and the way they sometimes happened. And I was utterly devastated. And it was, like, this, like, sort of out of the blue sort of thing. I had this somehow impression that she would never break up with me, even though she did. And, uh, and it was, felt like, confident. I was, like, thank God that happened, by the way. That was, like... The best thing that ever happened to me, uh, and uh, in many. So ways. hello, if you're listening out there, it's still <laughs> just so you know. First of all, he's he's over it, but wants you to know. <laughs> no, we're, but absolutely, we're still very good. The friends. best thing ever. We're still that happened to Alex. Friends. No, I mean it was like. But yes, you needed it. Yeah, so she yeah. breaks up with you. Yeah, and then she went to film school, and uh, and I was like, oh my god, this person has broken my heart, and now they're gonna go on and. She's going to become a famous movie director and I'm going to be stuck supervising recess. Oh, wow. And it was like, I got to do something. I got to like get off my ass a little bit. And like, I know this won't work out for me, but my life sucks so bad and there's nothing left to lose anyway. So I might as well try. And then I sort of realized that I'd been sort of, you know, it was this classic fear of failure stuff, you know? Yeah. But I'm wondering if that's like the roots of you having complicated feelings about ambition. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, isn't that – doesn't everybody have complicated feelings about ambition? No. Right. Many people don't. Well, right. I mean, many people I, are all – right? Many people – I mean, you reported about a lot of those people for yeah. a long time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think I think you're either a person with complicated feelings about everything or you're not. And, like, I think I think that is what draws people to journalism is you have complicated feelings about stuff. And you're like, what on the one hand, on the other hand. and 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 sort of like – you think that about yourself. You think that about other things. You know, I think the people who are drawn to journalism are people who are drawn to gray areas in some ways or another. Sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes there's a crusading journalist. But I don't know. A lot of the journalism I like is sort of like people who are like, you know, you're drawn to the ambivalence. Uh, and, and that's certainly a part of my personality. That's always been a part of my personality. Yeah, but it's a yeah. specific – I mean, you know, I mean, anytime someone has been like, as you, as you know, and as this has happened a couple of times, you know, um, like – Hiding in a way, and in, in their real life, but hiding the the 
the hope that they have or the secret that they almost can't tell themselves. It, it's it's really interesting how you break down those how people break down those walls. So for you, it was like spite, right? One hundred percent spite, like and, and, and like resentment and 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 fear of being ditched and fear of feeling like a failure. And like, did you own that right then? Well. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was very, it was very much like, like, I was like, oh my God, I got, I'm, I've been sort of like lying to myself about my own ambition for many, many years. And, and now, and, and I've been afraid. And now that I have nothing left to fear because like this, nothing could feel worse than the way I feel right now. And in a certain way, you know, it, you know, it like freed me to, to, to actually go after the thing that I wanted to do. Right. So at that time, 28 years old. Yeah, so, so I was like, yeah. So I was like, so then I. That was like sadness and pain kind of jo- were, were jarring enough to take you out of complacency. Yeah. And sort of, and made me realize that I'd been like hiding, you know, f- hiding my true desires for my my true ambition for a long time. Yeah, would your friends from Oberlin look at you ever at that time and, and be like, are, are you cool doing what you're doing? I mean, being a high school teacher is a great thing to do and teaching so- all that stuff, seventh and eighth grade. But I mean. The people you had late night conversations with at college, would they look at you, your friends, and be like, what are you – because, you know, you, you talk to – you go back and talk to one of your college friends uh, uh, on episode four. Oh, yeah. That's – yeah. But I'm wondering if those people were sort of right out of college were sort of said, Alex, what's your, what's your plan? No, not really. I mean, like, because it was like it, – it's a cool thing to do. Like, becoming yeah. – you know, going into education is a wonderful Great thing. thing. And, and, yeah. and it's like – and it feels – you know, it felt exciting and it felt like, oh – it didn't it wasn't like i'm settling for this it was just sort of like there's a thing that i really want to do that is not that i'm not pursuing but it wasn't like but that's what i was asking yeah, if did, those people knew that you had if you i guess what i'm asking is had you ever allowed yourself to give voice to this idea before doing it that that you wanted more i, I ask it because i know from people who listen to the show and i get you know that a lot of people walk around like this yeah i mean i think i think you know it's like it's a long way back and i don't i don't know exactly i'm sure people like and i you know i had pursued an internship and so you know there was like there was it was a sort of a like this is a slightly probably neater narrative than the actual facts are it the, you know there was sure. there was there was like rumblings that i was like you know i had had this internship that had been sort of very very exciting while i was teaching sort of like i had an internship at harper's magazine in my last year of teaching and so that was like a so it, like i'd realized that was a big awesome pivotal thing for me to do and like i realized oh that's really fun was that at the beginning of when david foster wallace would write for them sometimes or right before yeah, no, it was around that time. It was like back when it was like it was awesome. It was the heyday. Yeah, yeah that it was must great. Have been really great. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And like all these great people were there, and you know, Michael Pollan, and like all these all these like household names right now. Paul Tuff, and like you know all these people who are sort of like um, have be, grown on to become like best selling authors and stuff. Um, so, so you were yeah. you decide uh, what did you decide to do? You said okay, I'm going to go be a journalist. So yeah, so then I was like. <laughs> right, which is such a funny, you know, aim in retrospect. Like, I know I'm going to counteract your worldwide fame. fame and I'm going to become a narrative journalist. So it was always you. narrative journalism. Yeah, I mean, it was always. You were going to tell like long form, like, long, long form stories yeah. um, that uh, had a subjective and objective element in them. Yeah, of the kind that I love to read, and like that sort of gave you know, sort of gave a narrative, gave a lot of context, and sort of took you inside a world. Um, that, those were my favorite ones. And was it the written at that time in your mind, uh, like sixty minutes or like no, written, written? Was probably what I was gonna was going for. Um, and then, 
around that time, this was a long time ago. So it was like in the mid nineties and like that was the time that this American life was starting, you know, and it was in Chicago. I was in Chicago. So I don't, I knew somebody who knew somebody who worked there and I, uh, oh no. And Paul Tuff from, from Harper's was sort of like involved with the show and was coming out and sort of working on it periodically and sort of like, um, and so through him, I sort of got like an internship essentially slash I became the administrative assistant. And so yeah. early, like in one of the first couple of years of this. Yeah. And it was all messy because like, I was like, I was like at the same time I was sort of taking a step towards this. I was also sort of like, well, I'm going to go to graduate school. So I was in graduate school, you know, at like for journalism, ge- no geography. <laughs> I was like, going to be, cause I was like, you teach know, high school geography. Or? I don't know what I thought. I was like, I didn't, it just was like, when I you wanted st- an escape and I felt like, you know, graduate school, like many people, I felt like that was, the, so I was in, Graduate school in in Chicago, and then I also had this internship at This American Life as the administrative assistant, like answering mail and you know sort of like doing all that stuff. Um, but just that, just being the administrative assistant at This American Life was, I got to go to the editorial meetings because there was like three people, yeah, and that was so much more thrilling than you know grad school. And I was like, if if being the administrative assistant is so exciting, that's exactly what I yeah. was going to ask you. Did did when you jumped in the water even a little bit, just even your feet as the administrative assistant, did you some part of you feel like, oh, this is home, this is what I want to do? Did you feel different about it? Oh yeah, 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 very much. And it, and it became clear um, pretty early on that like it was just so much more engaged. It was so much more exciting. And so I like there was a period where I was like working for like two days a week at this American life and then three days a week at this internship that had been arranged through through my geography school. And it was like some sort of like urban planning. I was gonna say I'm really curious about what a geography it was, internship it was would like, be. Yeah, it was like a land use planning commission sort of something or another. Um and I was really, picture yeah. in a giant room with maps on the wall the, the and it's like you have to apply the spackle to make the contours <laughs> of whatever mountain ranges there are. I don't remember what projects we were working on, but there was like I, I, you know, it was the, yeah, but it was like, but it was not fun really compared to it was like maybe intellectually interesting, but not really yeah. alive. If and, I didn't have another, if I didn't have the thing to compare it to, like being the administrative assistant of this American Life to compare it to, I might have thought it was fun, but like, it just wasn't as fun, and it just wasn't as like it felt like being there, being part of this conversation. It just felt like I was like home, and oh, that makes total sense. Did you end up um, working? Sort of, would you stay long hours? Like, did you? Oh yeah, no, I was like full on like. I did everything. I was like the the guy who like, you know, and that was also really exciting because I had seen, you know, some friends of mine and other every once in a while, like, you know, you know, you got your group of friends out of, out of college and they're all sort of like struggling when they graduate. And then gradually it's like sort of like some of them get like swept up on the treadmill and they're, zoom, they're off, you know, and they're like, and you're, they're diving into the thing that they're doing and they're so engaged and you're like, God, I want that to happen for me. And like that finally was happening. So I was like so ready to dive into something and, um, and like, and just like, you know, just be consumed by it, you know? Well, yeah. Engage and engagement. Those are such, uh, you know, engagement is such a great word for, for a sort of a tangible word for knowing you have that feeling that you're home and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And and because uh, you know the op- to me the opposite of it is being bored, which is I think an incredibly painful thing, and a lot of people live closer to that place. Yeah, and I was because like, they have to, and for you know a variety of reasons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I and I feel like that was something that 
that uh, being bored is safer, you know? And, like, you know, now I'm remembering, like, all the, like, I remember the feeling of engagement. That's a very, very real feeling. But that was combined with, like, terror, you know? And, like, and, like, and that was sort of the realization is sort of like the, the terror comes with the engagement and they're sort of like, they're, they're, they're mingled, you know? Yeah, they would, because you're taking a giant, you know, anytime somebody, I don't know if you ever read this book, um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. But he talks about how anytime you go for sort of a higher level thing for yourself, however you really define it, a higher plane mm-hmm. of achievement self, you have this, the forces of resistance, yes. of fear, try right. to drag you back yeah, yeah. down. Um, but you were, a lo- you were single. No, you didn't have other responsibilities then? Yeah, no. So this was like, I was like, I guess like, like late 20s, early 30s. I was single, I, you know, like I... And, very single like I was still sort of in the aftermath of like you know sort of the dramatic ego crushing of having been broken up with and I was like sort of like I was like walking around with like a flashing forehead do not date do I'm not date I'm picturing yeah. uh, Steve Martin the lonely guy yeah it was very much Sadly, like, I was like it was like it was ugly uh and uh, so, so you threw yeah. yourself into this yeah. thing, and it was in, it, total engagement, but fear fear that there was no safety net for yourself because if you you left this other stuff, mm, it I wasn't. Mean, I know that, now you know there's like, a safety net, it, but it, I, it, it was like it, it wasn't like a safety net. Like it, you know, I knew that like there was a financial safety net. Like I knew that I could always get a job as like a teacher again, or I could you know worst came to worst, like my you know I could go back and live with my parents or whatever, get a job and like you know I was living cheaply, I could live, get a job in food service, you know. Um, but like the, no, the fear was just sort of like, I'm now like going for the thing that I want to do and I might fail at it. That's the main fear. You know, it's like a pretty standard sort of cliched fear, but it's a very real fear. And when you're doing it in the middle of it, it's like, it's a really scary thing. Well, yeah. Cause it's yeah. easier to tell yourself you can be funny and, and mm-hmm. you can be great if you're, yeah. and then, you know, you could be Rupert Pupkin and you don't know. Rupert Pupkin has no idea that that's who he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, you only you yeah. stay in the basement telling the jokes there. Yeah. Um, in King of Comedy. You know, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. easy. Uh, but then when you have to actually get up and really do it, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it become, how did it start to gain momentum? How did you become... Uh, so I would be like, I would like go to the story meetings and I would pitch stories and they would always get shot down because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I would continue to work on stuff. And, and then... But it was like such a – I mean, This American Life in the early days, it was like Ira and two producers. I'm pretty sure – no, it was three producers and me, the administrative assistant, and like, you know, a, you know the most time and labor-intensive show on radio that you had to get out every single week. And it was just like – it was just everybody was there till like 10 or 11 at night and it was just like this constant struggle to get it all done on time. So you'd be and cutting so, audio while someone else – No, be- I was – and I was the, the administrative assistant and I was like teaching myself Pro Tools you know, on the side because I was like, I want to be one of them. And like – and like – and the minute I learned anything, they were like, can you do this? Can you do that? And then like – and Ira was like – and Ira said – and Ira and Paul Tuff had had this – you know, it was the 10th anniversary of the death of Harold Washington, who was the first black mayor of Chicago, yeah. and a huge presence in the city. And I was like, I want to do something around Harold Washington and something that would, you know, that would like a little bit, you know, push the envelope for, for our show a little bit. Did some, it felt different. And he was like, can you, can I give this to you to sort of help me think through? And so I was like, sure. 
So that was like a big thing. So he was like, read this book. And so I read this book called Fire on the Prairie by Gary Woodland, which is about Harold Washington's great book. Uh, and I and I like dug up all this footage, all this like sort of like footage and all these different Chicago documentary filmmakers who had all this great Harold F- Washington footage. And I tracked down all these different people from the administration. And I sort of like started just dove into it. And we like and then we started putting it together but i had no idea what i was doing you but know? that was when you first got sort of a producerial thing to do like tell this yeah, story yeah. a narrative thing and uh did you did you love the chat like did you it was love awesome. it right it away was, it was awesome and i was and it was like it was and i mean now it's like it was such a privilege to be working with somebody who knows what they're doing so well like ira even at, like ira was so good at like taking huge sort of like pieces of information and sort of structuring them. Well, he spent story. so many hours thinking about it yeah. before he was able to get that, right? <laughs> yeah, Be- yeah. Beforehand. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. had prepared, I mean, he'd really prepared for it as yeah. much as someone can and invented this. Yeah. And, and, and so, and so to be, and so like I was literally going out and doing the interviews with him. Like I would say, I think we should talk to this guy because he was here at this point in this pivotal moment. I think he could tell us this story. And I was like, that's great. Let's go. And so we'd go and I would see him like do the interviews. And so I was just like basically at his side and I was trying to cut the tape and everything like, and I was trying to get it all together. But I didn't know what I was doing, you know. And, and did like, you understand at that time sort of like how to find a narrative through line? No. Or that you, you know, so you would you were figuring that out as you were going. I am listed as a producer on the show. I did not produce that show. Like I like I was a I was a research assistant essentially. You know what I tried like I, and I was a competent research assistant, but I was not like I did not know what I was doing. And so I didn't. Now you know now I know as a producer what you do is you you imagine the through line and you sort of imagine the t- narrative and you think about like we need this scene here and we need this here and this is the emotional heart of the story blah 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 and you're like sort of like structured. But now at that time you're a you know 29 or 30 year old person. Yeah, and, I didn't know just what I was starting. Doing. I'd never done radio before in my life, and so this was like and I'd written like a couple of magazine articles for like you know local you know weekly papers. Like I didn't know what I was doing, and so so. I'd set us up with some good tape and then, and then, but, and the show was just so crazy at that time that like, and this is crazy to think, but like, you know, it was Wednesday before the, before the show was supposed to air on Friday and like nothing was done. Like I had like, I had like, you know, a, a you Pro Tools have- session with like the tape lined up. And nothing, you know, like I didn't know what I was doing, you know, and like Ira came in and I remember he started writing the thing on like Wednesday night. And it was like, which is insane, like an hour. It was an hour that he started writing on Wednesday night. Um, And it was just like, it was just like. You have such a big smile on your face kind of remembering this beginning time. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Because it's such a, you know, beginnings are very. Yeah. There's like a romance to the whole thing. Yeah. It almost feels like, uh, you know. A romantic comedy or something right. where you guys are, you know, like, or, a, you know, a 1940s mm-hmm. journalism movie. Yeah. Uh, so when it when it aired. So it, so we, we, it was a sprint to get it done. We didn't really even get it done. We had to refeed it because there were so many mistakes the first one. So, like, it ended up, like, having to be. But we were, like, sitting there listening, and I had no idea. And then everybody was sitting there. And it was like the very, very early days, like Sarah Val was there in Chicago. And it was like me and Elise and Nancy Updike, the original producers there. And I think Julie Snyder was there. And uh, and we listened to it live as it was like feeding, you know, like we finally, everything was on dat tape. Uh, and uh, and everybody was like, oh, it's good. Like, it's good. And I was like, this is amazing relief. And then, uh, and then we went out to this bar afterwards and uh, I just was so drained. And, and basically what had happened is I'd been sort of sort of involved and sort of like picking everything. And then at a certain point on Friday, on Wednesday night, like I was like, okay, I got to, 
move aside. I'm going to do the <laughs> like, show. I'm going to have the show together. There's nobody else who can. <laughs> so I'm not sure I can, but you certainly can. Uh, and so I'd been sort of like muscled aside. And even though I understood that that was what had to happen, it still somehow felt like it just, it wasn't, I was just so drained emotionally. Like we went out to drinks and I was like talking to the, by that point we actually had an actual intern at the show and yeah. I was talking to the actual intern uh, and I just started, my broke, I started crying because I was like so drained and so like, like so overwhelmed with what had happened and like so happy and relieved. But at the same time, like it hadn't gone like how I'd wanted to go, but obviously it wasn't going to ever go like that. It was, I, I understood why it hadn't because it hadn't been cable. It was just like a very, it was just, it was really, it was like a sort of a crazy moment. Yeah. Catharsis, I guess. I was going to say, it feels like it, cause it was a common, I mean, it was a, a culmination of so many things. You knew yeah. this was happening. You'd, you'd made this crazy choice. It yeah. was starting to pay off. Yeah. Um, you'd, in your own estimation, maybe because you're a perfectionist, fallen short. You felt you'd fallen short. And then you heard it was really wonderful. And, and it wasn't that it had fallen short. I don't even know why I cried. It was like, I think it was literally like I was out of exhaustion and sort of like realizing like it was sort of relief and then sort of realizing like, um, there's a long way to go, sort of. I don't know. It's like a, it's a confusing, like what what was behind that. Um, but it was like a, it was a very powerful moment. I remember. I remember it very clearly. Um, and then the next day, and then that, that week, and then sort of over the weekend, we got a lot of feedback. Was Ira in the bar that night? He was, but he. Was, I, this is outside. Oh, and then right. I Sort of like yeah. cleaned myself and went in, and you know. Um, and then over the weekend it aired and we got a lot of feedback and people emailed us and we realized like, okay, we had like, this was a successful show. It was like something that people came to consider a hit, hit later on. And, uh, and so I went in and I was like, that was great. Like, I want to be a producer now. And I was like, well, I can't make you a producer. <laughs> and I was like, oh, but the show, he was like, I don't have the, I'm a startup. I don't have the money to make you a producer. And even if I did have money for a producer, I would probably want to hire somebody with more experience than you. And, uh, and I was like, well, what would I need to do to get more experience? And he was like, I don't know, probably like quit and become a freelancer and, and get some actual experience. Make reporting. stories somehow. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm going to do that. And so... So the Monday after the, your first story ran, or the Tuesday after, you quit. No, no, I didn't quit that day. I was like, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to put that in action. So I went to my parents and I was like, I think I really love this. I need, um, I need you to loan me $10,000 for the year. You know, and like assume this was going to be my graduate school. Can can I get through this year? And if if I can't make that last through the year and support myself doing journalism, then you know, I'll do something else. And they were like, okay, seems like a fair deal. Uh, so so we so I did that, and I and then I lined that all up, and then I told Ira like, okay, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to quit in a month. And he was like, okay. And then I think he didn't fully realize he, I was going to do it because then because it because then I was like. I was like, like a, it was two weeks, and I was like, "You have, I'm quitting. You, you have to hire another, you know, assistant now, you know, because I am going to leave." And he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." So they got somebody else hired, and I quit. And then, and then at that point, I'd pitched, finally successfully pitched a story to them. So one of the first things that I did was a story for This American Life as a freelancer. Um, and Which story said, was that? Was that the money story, or that came? No, it was a long time ago. It was like this guy. It was this bank robber who um, uh, robbed a bank in Cincinnati, and then. Uh, and then for, uh, 
forgot about like when like am, like robbed like got amnesia and robbed a bank or something. I can't remember exactly. But what so you was, did yeah. you you were able to then do a, uh, a story and you produced that story. You, I did. I reported it and I had a producer who helped me do it. I went and got the tape and then wrote the script and stuff like that. And was it a fun? How long were you out freelance before you came back inside? So I've been. I think I freelanced for a year and a half. And then we keep in touch with everybody there. Oh yeah, and, and I would do so. And I during that year and a half, I would continue. I, I did another story or two for for This American Life, and I did other radio stories by that point. So I started doing a story for like the Savvy Traveler, which was a show back then, and some other ones. And what? How do you remember that year now? It was it was awesome. It was right. I mean it was like terrifying and awesome, but it was like awesome mainly. You were uh, living the thing that you wanted. Yeah, to do. It was and happening. I had like and like and gaining got, talent, gaining yeah, capacity. Yeah, you know? and I'd say I was getting better and better magazine stories. So I'd like I finally I'd like finally gotten a couple stories. I got in a story in Wired, and I got in a story at GQ, um, and so I was like getting like national magazine stories up there. And I was like I had this sort of regular gig where I was writing something for somebody. They they were putting me on sort of like a halftime contract, so I had like regular income coming in and I was doing these things for public radio that like you know various things and I did you know I, I won an award a journalism award you know, like a, a radio award for this for the story I did um, so things were going well I mean it was like long and slow it took a long time but like yeah and at that time did you have some kind of a grander career aspiration or you just knew you basically wanted to do what Ira did uh, I didn't want to do what Ira did I just wanted to like support myself like doing writing do, doing journalism like the very like you know I sort of I, I arranged it I quit I did the story for This American Life so I had something to work on right away yes. and then I was done with that and I was like alright here I am in my home office right like and I had like some ridiculous assignment from the Chicago Reader which was the local weekly paper to write something on like the sewer you know sewer systems or something like that uh, and uh, and I just started typing and I was like this is my job now <laughs> like just sitting here and writing, and that's this is my job. It was like mind blowing, you know. It was oh, great. Yeah, that's an. I mean, yeah, yeah that's uh, it's great because you were right in that. Uh, I mean, it'd be horrible to get to that place and have worked it all out, and and then be, oh no, you know. Right. Yeah. No. No. It felt very much like, and then and there was like. And then it was like scary, you know, like there would be like times when I didn't have assignments, and there was time like waiting for checks was brutal. Right. Like, and like, and the times like, you know, there's, I guess I talk a lot about when I'm crying here, but like, there was another time I remember, like, I was like, I was, I'd like done a bunch of stuff and I was so, I was waiting for so many checks to come in and it was like really hard, you know, to like, sort of like you, you cash flow management was hard, you know, doing that. And I really needed these checks to come in and they'd been emailing them and they're like, yeah, yeah it's in the mail. And then I was like, they have to come today. And I went and like opened the thing and it was, it was empty. And I just like literally broke down crying. Oh no, like, crying again? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was like, you guys don't realize I need, I need these checks. It's not only because I need the money, but it's also like sort of validation. Yeah. It like, tells you yeah, that you're actually doing you this did thing. It. it was a real, um, a real and transaction. What, what you had to offer was like um, a value to these yeah. people. Yeah. And I vowed if I ever had a, like a real job, I would never treat freelancers that way. And then of course I did. You did. I did. Uh, why? I got too busy. It's like I how understand. did you? Oh, okay, that, we're going to jump ahead to that moment. So you did. You did. You have a moment of realization, like, oh no, I'm the jerk now. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, I didn't have a moment of realization because I blocked that out. Like, but I'm sure, like, there are people for who were on that side of the table that I was like, because because then I got a real job and it was like at this American Life. And it was just so busy and I was like so desperate to keep up and like so many things fell through the cracks. Like so many people I did not get back to and so many people I strung along. And there was like 
I, to all of you out there, I apologize. Like, so I was really, like, okay, so, I was horrible. Well, I'm interested in, the, in this. This dovetails with something I wanted to actually a- ask you about later, which is sometimes on, on Planet Money and on, on This American Life, but on, on Planet Money, I mean, you would talk to people um, who didn't realize that maybe they were on the side of um, bad, not good. And, uh, you know, you'd hear people rationalize their behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I, I, so I, and I wonder, as you're becoming now really a business person, how – and so even when you said like there – and it's very easy to kind of say, you know, I was caught up. I did all this stuff. And I'm – I know it's always the challenge um, when you're – especially when you're in a place that's sort of doing a, some sort of public good, which you guys were engaged in, mm-hmm. to keep yourself accountable. Well, I mean, I'm not it, saying you did anything bad. No, you, no, you, but I, but no, I'm I saying did like do I do things bad. I didn't, I didn't get back to people in a timely manner, and I'm sure there was many, many people who were like, "What is?" I wrote to him, and he didn't write back to me. But Why I guess I'm wondering not? if you were doing yeah. a report on, you know, checks from the government coming late to vet, VA hospital people, if you ever can, and like as that report is just sitting there, <laughs> um, and you know, you're leaving the big pregnant pauses for us to take that in. <laughs> you know, if you ever thought like, "Oh, there's." There's a measure of hypocrisy. Well, yeah. I mean, like our job was not to issue checks to people. <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah, like, um, but I, that never happened like that. Like I reject that comparison. But, but I mean, if you're like. No, of course it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a, 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 a comparison to scale. It's an yeah. absurd comparison. But, but I'm, but, um, but in a way it's not an absurd comparison when, when, um, you talk about the individuals who are engaged in certain things. And, and because I wonder, on the flip side now, as you're doing this business venture, if, it, if, if you have an extra measure of empathy for, for people who've been engaged in these same things and then found themselves in a way you won't because of various things, taking shortcuts or... Oh, no, I, absolutely. No, no, no question about it. And, and like, so, so, I mean, if we're talking about, like... I think that um, a big fear is that, you know, with becoming a business person is that you um, – that the tendency is to sort of rationalize your behavior because there is – there's always a reason for doing things. Like businesses have reasons for doing things and businesses have like we need to, you know, we need to make a profit because we can reinvest that profit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's true. There are there are truths to that. Yes. And so um, – but then there's like the record labels who are sort of like coming up with all these accounting gimmicks to sort of make sure that the artists never see a dime. And like and like I'm sure the people who are doing that had rationalizations along the way and then it became established I mean practice. I know what they are. Yeah. My dad was in the record business. Yeah. I know exactly what the rationalizations were for that. It right. was uh, – well – we're obviously taking first. The, let me see if I can the, get it. Yeah. yeah, we're taking all the risk. We're putting in all the risk to to create the thing. We don't know if we're going to make hits. We need to be able to spread that risk around. You know, we're we're taking all the financial risk with like signing the audience. We're paying for them, so we need to make sure that we're recouping. Yeah, that back then it was yeah. it was you know back then in when there was a real record business that was thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somewhere between ten and twenty percent of the acts paid for some between you know 80 and 85 percent of, right. of the other acts to get to do what they did right it was a yeah, and, and, and so yeah they would pay for the the failures but yes the way that then the accounting got built up but i guess the the deeper sort of question is is one about this whole idea of narrative journalism and this especially audio nar- narrative journalism that you know um you can use all sorts of tools and techniques 
of, of editing and music and um, sound to create an effect. Um, and I'm the pull to make the story work. And it's, you know, uh, a story that could be about uh, how someone, um, for the sake of expedience, uh, um, disregarded somebody. And then when one's making the story, how do you avoid the trap of being expedient to get to the emotional crescendo? You know, how do you balance those right. things? Like, so I guess we should proceed as a given that every 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 narrative is, is in some respects a lie, right? Like, because you're editing out things that that happened along the way so you're so you're it's a it's a lie of omission if sure. nothing else right um and uh so there's that problem right away and then there's the problem of sort of like certain narratives are easier for a journalist to conceive of than other narratives um like and i this is something that i'm like try to fight against is uh, yeah, sort of so like wondering. The, is there's you know one of the easiest narratives in in journalism is the villain victim narrative that there's a villain and they're doing a bad thing and there's a victim who has had the bad thing done to them and you see it all the time and i think that narrative is like true three percent of the time you know <laughs> but it's written from that perspective like 80 percent of the time and i think and i think uh so so i like I try the, the 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 least I can do is try to tell the truest narrative to to the actual facts. And I know that there is always going to be like like you know, Joan Didion has this thing like every writers actor, are always selling someone yeah, out. Every, yeah, every, yeah. Is a, is a betrayal or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's sell, no writers yeah. are always selling somebody out. Yeah, exactly. And uh and 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 I I don't believe that. Like I think you can and I feel like I've done enough journalism now and like people have there have almost never has anybody come and said you sold me out you 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 presented it unfairly to me um and i think part of that is radio like they hear themselves you know so you you actually hear yourself so at least you're like oh i did say that you know and so like there's like a there's a thing where you you actually recognize yourself a little bit more than you recognize yourself in print because i find myself as a fan uh i'm a you know uh like you i'm obsessed with podcasts i mean that's why Mm-hmm. I, I do this. I, I, I really love them. When I started listening to them, however many years ago, it, they, they, the intimacy of the form really um, spoke to me in a deep way. But I find when I listen to This American Life, or when I would listen to you know the more narrative uh, episodes of Planet Money, certainly on Startup or uh, Snap Judgment, you know, uh, I become. Uh, you take sides. Like human nature is, you want to take sides. Mm-hmm. And so you do end up, I think, landing, and you kind of almost turn off a certain part of your critical faculties uh-huh. at first. Who, so this is interesting because I like who, talk more about like who. What's a sort of a recent time when you've taken sides? Um, okay, in the story on uh, uh, This American Life story, not Sarah Val, Sarah, the older, the producer, Sarah Koenig, yeah, Sarah Koenig's father. The story mm-hmm. about Sarah Koenig's father right. and the guy who. Um, claim to have made up all of those uh, things. The, yeah, uh, all so the, the advertising. The story campaigns. is like he was a he was he was a legendary ad man. Yeah, he you guys just re. I mean, yeah. uh, this American Life reran that story two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and um, I mean it's from 2009, but yeah. I guess he just passed away, so they they ran it. And she starts the story by talking about letting us clearly know that her dad is not totally to be trusted because he tells a couple of cre- that he invented thumb, thumb wrestling, wrestling, even right, though Norman yeah. Mailer takes credit for it, right? <laughs> but. Um, but by the end of the story, you know, 
even though she's telling a story about her own father against this other guy who's written all these books and gotten all this credit, I mean, I was in my car driving back from somewhere and, um, you know, I was, uh, like, I could feel the veins in my neck popping about this incredible injustice. And then, by the time, when I got home, I, I, I was like, what did I look it all up? And then I just thought, like, well, wait, stop. You know, um, this guy's written a few books. Like, why don't you figure out what the real stuff... Like, I, but I did find myself... Uh, and yes, she said I tried to reach the other uh-huh. person. And I did believe it. That's just a very recent, and it's sort yeah. of a very small story. Um, uh-huh. But I think that stuff... Right, so, like, like I mean, you know, I my my goal always is, like, is to, is to sort of, like... My favorite stories are the ones that are sort of like complicated, you know, and like and like, you know, so like the you know and and like the the you know so the giant pool of money, which is one of the more sort of like famous stories that I've done and like yeah, one of sure, my favorite of ones that I did that that was sort of in direct relate that was sort of almost a direct response to the way it was getting re- reported in the press, which is some of it like you know the homeowners were screwing the banks, the banks were screwing the homeowners, and I was like, this is something bigger than that, like what's actually going on here, and like. I reported that story, and in my mind, literally, no, like I honestly will say, like nobody felt like a villain to me, but like people cho- well, chose villains, you know. Well, yeah, and, I mean, and, I wonder yeah. about that because when I mean, I think the coverage you 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 and your partners did on the financial crisis, explaining it, you know, the episodes mm-hmm. you would explain it and go back right. and explain other parts of it, and I, I know you don't like the word explain. Yeah, no, no, no. I like you the would word walk explain. everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, all, I'm I'm fine with explaining. Yeah. You know, you'd use these tools, dramatic yeah, tools, yeah, yeah. to translate yeah. what was going on. Um, I think I might reject the notion that there weren't that 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 the point of view of the show, a point of view to which I, you know, completely <laughs> subscribe. <laughs> yeah, subscribe. Was um, there are villains, and the villains are. Um, the predatory lenders and the villains are the regulators who didn't make sure. Like it, it seemed that 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 yeah. See that that's not true. I am categorically reject that. Like fine in this especially. I reject like, it first. Like, you have to do something else. Like the, if I rejected it, you know, I mean, like I I want to go back into the into the you know like that. So there were people who were like sort of like part of the system, and the system was like money chasing investment, and like and it, that system sort of incentivized people to do things that in retrospect they shouldn't have done, and it called out like sort of like egregious parts of you know our behavior like there was a guy who was like drinking crystal all night and sort of like partying right. and like that but like i yeah. loved that guy and he was so honest about it and like to me and like that guy i think got sort of cast as the villain in the narrative just because he was behaving badly like he was going out clubbing and he was profiting off of other people's misery is not the right word but like he was he was profiting as part of the system. But to me, he was not the villain, honestly. Like, to me, I was like, I was sort of surprised when he got cast as the villain. Um, and so, so yeah, like, it was like, there's, you know, we'll, I don't no, it's, take I, a dig at somebody for like, well, you know, what were you thinking? That's fine. Like, and that you have to ask. And like, and people were, but the, but then you want like, yeah, like the great thing about that is that you want the response to be like, yeah, what was I thinking? Like, that's the best thing that you can get out of somebody. And some or, people were saying that. You know? Or, I mean, I, I don't want to uh, get off on, on, on this tangent too long because yeah. I actually want to get back to your yeah, journey sure. quickly. But I, like, okay, the story this Friday, which was a money story about oh, yeah. the, the the Fed. Uh, about the federal, you know, the federal no, that reserve. That one was more like, yeah. But I mean, a- um, afterwards, I'm, and again, you have she has our sympathy completely as we're listening to this. By the way, it's an incredible episode of radio. Um, 
and but but uh, the the point of view was so the editorial not just her point of view like the editorial point of view is so clear and stark um that uh that i i guess what i wonder about is and i, I you, you've answered it is you do go through a process of checking yourself that it's objective and you're not villainizing oh very much and very much and like like yeah, no, I teach like courses about like getting beyond the villain victim narrative. Like I don't, I I hate it, and I feel like there's like that is the fallback position of most journalism. It's sort of like there's a villain and there's a victim, and like and to me, there's you leave aside so many interesting things when you do it that way. But but, uh, but now and now you're, you're you're so you when you I just want to talk about two different yeah, yeah. moments, and then we'll get all, mm-hmm. right to the, the show. So when you do that story that you, that you loved doing. And then you guys launched Planet Money kind of in, in the mm. wake of that, right? Right. And what was that decision like to then go off and, and do Planet Money? So that was like another big sort of pivotal mo- yeah, moment right. for me, right? And and like and that was sort of like and that was very very I was very reluctantly sort of dragged into that actually by Adam Davidson. Like Adam was like very much like this is a an amazing thing we hit this special sauce, and I was like, no, that was a once in a lifetime story. Nobody wants to hear. like we did an hour on mortgage finance. That's never going to happen again. Like there's not that was it. That was we've tapped out the interest of the American public and things financial. There is no way we're ever going to wow, do. Wow, that's but, hilarious. Yeah, I was like, I was that was we're a once done. in a lifetime opportunity. There's no more to be done here. And he was like, No, no, I really think there is. And so and so it was like a very very. He was like coaxing me. Where were you emotional? Like just tracing the emotional through line of of the character Alex Bloomberg. Like, mm-hmm. So where were you? You know, the first thing happened out of sort of sadness and pain, and and a recognition that uh, if you didn't do something now, you never would. Oh, now no, you're living like, a fun. Oh yeah, triumph. You're loving what you I do every day. My, yeah, I met my wife. Like we were like I was like super. I was in a great place. Things were great. Like I was like becoming like the the, you know, sort of like I'd been one of the longest uh, sure. producers at. At this American Life, we we were winning awards for that show. Like it was amazing. Like it was that was like I was sort of a, you know, it was at the peak, and I was like, why would I want to like leave this? I can I have sort of editorial free reign. I work at one of the greatest places in the world. Like why would I want to? Was it and do difficult else? to go to Ira and, and ask to do it? No, because originally, like I just did it for like a day. You know, like I was doing it one day a week. I was like, Ira, I think you know, because then it became sort of clear that like the financial system was pretty shaky. You know, and so like there was more to do here, and so I was like, Was yeah. it a radio show and podcast right away? It was. A, it was a podcast, not a radio show. It was not a radio show in the beginning. It was going to be like and 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 originally we didn't really know what it was going to be, and then. And, and basically it like and originally so so then Adam and I would sort of talk about it and we'd like we're going to just like tell these narrative stories about the global economy. And so we had this long our first podcast was going to be about like, you know, sort of like a I can't even remember like a chromium shortage in one country that led to a windmill shortage somewhere else. It was very much like sort of like a geeky sort of like here's this interesting tale about like how, you know, the global economy is interconnected because we thought like financial stuff was over. And then we were all set to launch, and we were going to launch the show, and the sh- we were going to launch the week, and the, the 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 week we were about to launch, the weekend of the week before we were launching, Fanny and Freddie failed. <laughs> right. So, so then, and I was on vacation because I was like, okay, we're all done. Like, I got the we made thing all done, and I'm like, I'm going off now, and like, we'll we'll post this, and we'll uh. do the next one when I get back. And uh, Adam was there, and he was like. Holy, you know, the shit's gone down, and like, so he just flew off somewhere and like interviewed a bunch of, and then it became a daily sort of occurrence right out the gate. It was supposed to be weekly, and it just became daily because like all of a sudden, 
everybody had questions. And so we were just like scrambling as fast as we could. And then, and that, that was sort of how the show got launched. And then it became clear sort of pretty early on that was in September. And then by January, I'd gone to Ira and I was like, listen, this is, you know, continues to be the greatest story of our time. We're uniquely positioned to talk about it now. And I think I just want to work full time at planet money and I will continue to be an employee of this American life, but I will go there and work. Um, and because be, this American Life uh, was a partner in that show, yeah, and I was their partnership. I was their stake, basically. Me, they were paying my salary, and I was their employee, so I was the stake in Planet Money. Um, and and what I got out of it was he got. I was like, and we'll, I'll continue to produce content that you can air on the That's show. Great. And then did you um, and yeah. did you and your partner uh, did you guys own that show? No, 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 no. That was that probably part of the reason I'm doing right. what I'm doing now. So yeah. you did that and you built a, an incredibly successful, one of the most successful podcasts. Yeah. Um, and how long did you do the show for? So up until March of uh, March of 2014. And, and did you? And when did it start? 2008. 2008. Yeah. And so yeah. did, did you, you were engaged the whole time in the journey? Did you enjoy doing it and were you fired up the whole time or in the last year and a half did it? I was totally engaged the whole time. The, the the thing that kept me engaged at the at the very end was this gigantic project that we did, this T-shirt project yeah. that we did, mm-hmm. which was sort of like I think if I hadn't had that project, I would have been ready to like move on earlier. But that project became yeah, like, which carried over many many. Oh, it's awesome! For I love very that long project. time. It was right. one of my favorite things. Um, you can still find these uh, yeah, I mean, episodes. Of, yeah, planetmoney.com slash shirt. It's, it's all there. It's all there. Yeah. Uh, this incredible run of this stuff. Um, where you guys learned uh, uh, so much and we yeah. learned as, as you, were, you were doing it. So what, because you, you don't really talk about this or you haven't yet on, on startup. You, you talk about it a little bit. But, you know, having a child. Mm-hmm. Two. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> having your second child maybe. But yeah. what, um, what were the things that built up in you that, that made you begin to think I have to go... Um, and try this. I have to put myself in a state of risk there, again. There's a bunch of things. I mean, the the first was sort of like feeling like um, the first was really feeling like there's a huge opportunity here, and like and it's like you, you, you sort of can't take advantage of it working inside a legacy media company. Like you you you, you know, there's they need to pay too much attention to the radio. And to me, the exciting thing that's happening is all digital all podcasts all on demand and like i want to focus fully on that um and you can't get to, to make it work within the public radio system it, it you have to have it like it has to have some sort of radio component and the radio component is like confusing to work and so it's just it was just like to me it was like so clear like this planet money was this huge success like the fans it was like great we had this huge audience there was a way to make money yeah super engagement you know? through the t-shirt thing you sent everything yeah. else you saw super engagement yeah. with your audience yeah and 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 the audience had sort of you know sort of materialized fairly quickly and was like growing rapidly and like I just felt like this is there's the demand for this kind of like narrative storytelling and like you can apply it to all the different kinds of things. We should just be like funding these things and launching them. And so so and it just wasn't it's it, you couldn't make it happen. So you mean seeing that yeah. there was an opportunity and then you couldn't find a way to make it work within this system within the system. And then and then partly it was sort of like, you know, like at a certain point. You know, I'd been an employee for a long, long time at different places and I'd created a bunch of value and had been compensated well and like there's no, you know, that was the that was the deal and that's great. But at a certain point, I was like, I want to own something. You know, I want equity in something. 
and um, and uh, and so that was partly also the decision. It was just sort of like I'm ready to I'm ready to fully own it. And uh, and how did you did you offer the people with whom you were working a chance to be involved? I mean, was Ira happy for you that you left? Was it difficult? Ira's the greatest guy. Yeah, the, like, he, like he's like he's um. But I, I don't mean like I'm not like kissing ass right now. I've just I've been like. Well, then it's not the fact that he's the Don Corleone of the podcasting <laughs> world. <laughs> right. You have to, no, but what are you going to say? Yeah. But I mean, like he, no, he is like, obviously. I, am, I was a, I'm a very valuable employee to him. I know I have a right. lot of institutional knowledge. Like I'm like I'm like you know and You've like been there the whole time. He's and, made a huge investment in me literally taught me everything there is to know like taught me everything i know right now and was nothing but happy and thrilled for me like to go and was like very generous and wanted nothing but his you know the the most and i think that's really first of all it's so rare it's so rare that people don't take it personally and he doesn't and then and then it's also i think it's really smart like it's really smart because i feel like we're like my personal view is that like there's 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 massive growth here in this world possible possible and like we're going to just be continue to generate the more good stuff there is out there to listen to sort of on demand listening there is the more people are going to be dragged into this into this world and that's going to be good for him so, I, yeah, yeah no I, I agree with that all makes sense and I thought it was amazingly um, like kind of beautiful thing you know because hearing your voice on with his for such a long time that I thought it was a beautiful thing that he put that excerpt of your first episode oh yeah yeah no, on this awesome. American life yeah. it was a great endorsement of yeah. uh, what you were doing yeah so throughout these first few episodes um, as you're on this incredible journey to build a podcasting network so w what is it about podcasts that you love so much have you been able to identify oh yeah i think about it all the time i i mean i think so i think uh uh i think there's a couple things one i think um i just love hearing a story told so i think there's that that sort of like that's sort of one of the more basic things about being human you like hearing that um but i also feel like with with podcasts i think there's like um you know there was this like it, it it's easy to sort of like get across authenticity more so than sort of maybe in other media um, and other media like trades and different sort of things. Like I think I would always, I was teach the, I would teach this course and I would always say like, you know, I'm not sure you will agree with this, but I would always say irony doesn't work very well on the radio. You, the audience doesn't want to know something about somebody you're listening to that they don't know about themselves. Whereas like television, especially reality television, that is their stock and trade is irony. You're hate watching people like people behaving badly. They think they're behaving well. Well, it depends on how you define even the correct definitions of yeah. irony. Um, Which is you, the audience, know something that the character doesn't know. Literary irony. But yeah. but, um, but like I think part of the reason Mark Maron's show worked so well is for certainly the first hundred episodes, we were constantly learning something that Mark didn't know. Oh, really? What do you mean? Oh, I, I think that Mark, like in the Louis C.K. episode. Um, yeah, but we were learning it with him. Yeah, but there'd be those. We were, but but you would get there twenty minutes before. You would get there episodes before. I I would assert that if you went back and listened to that two yeah. part Louis C.K. thing. Yeah, we all got there. Mark, you've been a bad friend to Louis yeah. way before Louis finally had to just directly say it to him. Yeah, and yeah. I think we heard it in the, all the leading up to that episode. Yeah, if you just look at it. No, no, I, I, I the agree. lead up to yeah. that episode when he would constantly say he couldn't get Louie or couldn't, re you know, he would talk but, about. But that episode culminated in like very, very raw, honest, intimate moments. Yes. right. And that's that's what I'm talking about. Like I feel like that is something where I think if you'd been watching it, it wouldn't have had the same effect. If you'd been reading it, I don't think it would have had the same effect. Listening to it, hearing it, it felt like 
you know, inside you. you yeah, felt like the it, intimate, personal. Yeah, that's uh, that's why I. I I don't like the idea of um, visual podcasts. I, right. I, I'm wondering where you, you know, no, I don't if you're like going to feel all. any pressure like like, to do yeah. that. Yeah, no, and I, I, not at all. Like, I feel like, I mean, I think who knows what we're going to do in the future, but like right now we're, we're audio based. We're an audio based sort of play. And, uh, and like, cause I think so, and I think, so one, it's like, I love it. I love this. I love, I love the intimacy of the medium. There's also this companionship element. Like you, when you're listening to a podcast that you love, you feel like you're listening to your friends and like, that's a great, I think that's a, that's a really nice relationship. Um, and then I also feel like there's like a nice, I happen to think we're on the verge of a golden age of audio, like the second golden I, age I of audio. That, yeah. And like, and so if you think about historically what happened with, you know, so the radio was the dominant form of sort of like, you know, entertainment. And then people would sit around their radio and sort of watch the radio and listen. And then television came along. And if you're going to sit around your living room and watch something, it's better to watch television. So radio gets like displaced and moves to the car and, and becomes this sort of secondary thing. But now... And so, and, and sort of radio technology and story and audio storytelling technology sort of stalled at that moment, right? Like there's no reason to sort of like make huge investments because now everything has moved to TV and that's the big moment. And that's the big opportunity. But now we're moving into a, sort of an age where like the cars, you know, is going to become on demand. And then we're all walking around with our earbuds and there's this moment now where we can choose what we want to listen to at all times. And, um, and, and and the, and and it and audio is the only thing you can do while you're doing something else. So you can listen to audio while you're mowing the lawn. You can listen to audio while you're at the gym. And and we're a very distracted, you know, group of people right now. And so uh, so you can't read. You know, you can't watch TV. You can listen to audio. And so like I think there's a huge opportunity now for that. Right. And that's a, a guy called me yesterday who I know, really really smart guy. And he said, Oh, I was listening to that episode, uh, and I really hope that you would mention um, X to that person uh, and uh and i i said oh i i did i i definitely did and i told him the thing and he said he'd listen really closely and i told him the context in which and he goes yeah i was running when i was listening so i must i was just like <laughs> yeah thanks that's great you're, were you listening closely right. or were you running and catching every fourth word over your panting um exactly but the intimate but he got more than if he'd been watching something for sure. no he really yeah, caught something yeah, and yeah. no and i have this uh, relationship i'm fascinated by the things you said about irony i mean irony in art anyway is like um a very thin final goal. Uh -huh. I, I guess the blanket statement I'm not sure about because if you think about why, and on your podcast you talk for us two seconds about Howard Stern, but one of the reasons Howard Stern works so well is you have a guy at the center who is chasing a certain kind of truth, but around him are tons of people who are sort of in various states of denial about their reality. But right. at least there's a there's a, a truth seeker right. at the center chasing it down. Yeah, and maybe yeah. that's what... Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's no, what and that's need. what. Yeah, no, and, and I feel like you can have people who are in a state of denial or in a state of sort of like you can have people who don't know, but as long as they realize, it's just it's frustrating to have like there's this. I think there's sort of like this like this like cord that never resolves. If if like you're just hearing somebody totally and they and they're in denial the whole time and they never come out of it, they never acknowledge the truth. No moments yeah. of audio moments of breakthrough yeah. and catharsis. Yeah. This this. Um, to me, this venue seems perfect for that. And yeah. your show really does that. I just want to ask about your own, where you are now in terms of ambivalence. You know, you, you it's funny. <laughs> I also thought your reading of The Giving Tree, meaning not you reading it out loud, yeah. your reading of it as being so specifically only about parent and kid was very interesting. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, uh, it seems like this ambivalence about the value 
of ambition to really succeed is still weighs on you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is an odd place for an entrepreneur to be in the beginning, you know, the nascent stage of, of no, the journey. No question about it. And, and, I, and, and that was a really scary, like that was a very, you know, scary thing to put out there and sort of like scary thing to put out because like I have taken money from Steady people who want, yeah, who want me to succeed big. Um, and, um, uh, but my calculation is that, um, that if I'm feeling it, Everybody's feeling it on some level. Like, like I think there are the, you know, whatever the, um, who's the guy that Larry Ellison's of the world who are like, just like sort of like terminators who like, are just like, we want to dominate, you know, uh, and like, that's, that's that person. And clearly I'm not that. So if anybody's investing in me thinking that's me, there's like, obviously that was some disconnect, but like, but I think most people have, are in touch with some level of ambivalence about what's going to happen. And, um, and so most people can relate, I think. Um, so, and that was my calculation anyway. And like, and after those stories aired, a lot of people have come forward and said like, this is, you know, this is my, this has been my experience too. This is the thing I think about all the time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, um, I know it's something that I, you know, um, by making the choice not to move to California a long time ago when I started my career in movies mm-hmm. it was about all I mean the primary thing that was about was like well I really want to raise my kids here away from that right my wife and I wanted to raise our children here we had a specific set of reasons and and, and values that may have been right or wrong but they it became important and, and and I could tell myself a story about the benefits of being here career-wise but the you know if you just look at the math of it Right. You should probably go there if that's what you want to yeah. do, right? If you want to uh-huh. make movies for your right. life. But I was never, I'll say, I've, I mean, we've all wrestled with some some of this ambivalence, but I'm, I guess I'm wondering, especially, you know, the, the giving tree, which is the way you look at it, the father-son <laughs> thing. Yeah. I, I just wonder if it's cautionary in a whole bunch of different ways to you about just yourself, you turning into the, the person taking advantage. Be, because, oh, like that, like my investors are the tree, and I'm the little boy. Yeah, all of you know every. Yeah, I mean, like the whole the whole thing. Because it, I mean, if you if you do like you know the if you if you take the uh, you know Derrida approach to the podcast, which you can right, that's mm-hmm. the literature. That's the we're, that we're examining. You've chosen this this. The whole thing is about you know who am I going to become? Uh huh. And then you feature this thing as a certain kind of cautionary tale. But I, it, it strikes me that part of the ambivalence that you're not speaking about is, can I remain a good person and be? Oh, I wonder about it. Can uh, I remain yeah. a, big, a good? Cause, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that is that is very much. Um, it's funny. Like we were we're we, we were just my partner and I were just having a big sort of conversation about this you know like a, a argument like where we're trying to figure out like what we need to structure deals with the people who are going to make these shows with us right and we want to we want to do the right thing by the business and sort of like give the business you know an ownership of the shows that we're doing because the business is taking a huge risk and we're going to pay people benefits and salaries and we're going to invest in this like a lot more than most other companies are doing it. But at the same time, the people are building the shows, right? Like we're not, we're going to be partners in that, but like we can't build the shows 
by ourselves. I can't make nine shows by myself. We need talent and, and nine different people who are making nine different, different, you know, great things. And so they need to be feel ownership. And what does that ownership look like? And what should the, what should the stake be? And like, this is a brand new world and like everybody, and there's an old media model by the way, which is like, if you're paying salary and benefits, they don't own and you own everything. And well, like, well, plus, yeah. you know, there's the, there's, there's the earwolf model and I'm sure you know what that is. Right. And, and there are splits that are standard splits for the business. Um, there's but, but earwolf the doesn't, doesn't, podcast yeah. one model. Well, yeah. earwolf pays for the studio. You know, they're they paying, pay for the studio, but they're not paying salaries to people and they're not paying benefits. Right. I mean, I'm saying they're we, different. I'm yeah, saying they're, and you're going to hear a, a whole conversation with Jeff Ulrich about this because we talked to him and we oh, taped it for it. Great. For the show. Which episode yeah. is that? I don't, whatever we get to that episode, I'm not sure when it's going to be, but like he was telling us, like he was like, yeah, you're in a very different situation. You're investing the, 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 you know, he, he says like for our people, like this is their third or fourth option. Like they've got other careers and they've got other money. And like, this is a podcast is something they do for various reasons, you know, to generate some side income to sort of like you know, sort of stay in touch with fans, et cetera. But we're not paying their salaries. And so they own the show. That's, that's great. And we get, you know, we, we do this, the rev share. It's super straightforward. We're not doing that. Like, this is a very different thing. We're investing a lot of money up front and we're not going to recoup that money for, for, right. And so of, then how do you do the good person? Two. How do you do the good person gut check math on that? Yeah. It's really hard. And it's really, and it's also really hard because like copyright laws against you here you know what i mean there's it's really hard to jointly own a copyright of stuff and so like it's 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 that is a real struggle and we're, we're trying to figure it out right now we had this long conversation with the you know with two of our creators about like how we're going to make it work and we're going to try to make it work and we're going to end up giving a deal that probably most people in the world would I don't know, like find uh, incredible. I, yeah, it's like it's I, tricky. It's a really I tricky thing. I felt it really keenly, you know. And even yeah. before we were talking about the, when you were talking about, uh, you know, how you weren't villainizing people in the in the in the in the financial system, really, because it was the system pressing down on them. But I felt it so keenly in the episode where you were trying to figure out how you and your partner should split the company, and um, and and the fact that that in the beginning, what you were talking about was what what experts told you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was uh, talk about rooting. Some experts. <laughs> I was rooting really hard for you to throw away that, adv- you know, and that yeah, was good yeah. storytelling on your part. And I, that's that's where I have the question of, you know, how much of that, um, how much of that, you know, to be or not to be stuff is is real. Oh no, that was but totally I, real. No, I felt it, no, I felt it was real. real. No, no, one hundred percent real. No, no, I was getting advice from a very certain, a very committed corner to like the 15 percent, and then it was only after we'd sort of that had gone so wrong that I started looking around. Well, I mean, there's tons of other, yeah, for sure, there's tons of other. Yeah. But but you could see in a weird way that that moment for you that that instance is like I'm sure there are going to be just. A hundred of those moments when you can, and, and it's funny, you know, people come to business like later in life. I, I, I was, you know, I've seen people that do this um, where you think, well, I don't want to be a rube. Right. Yeah. I don't want to be taken advantage of. And it's almost like, it's almost like, you know, Smeagol can turn into Gollum in an instant. Yeah. And sometimes you don't realize it until you've freaking no. been Gollum for centuries. And we and we and we like like we will sort of like the 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 thing that we don't want to become. We are acting a lot like a record label, you know, in that we are taking a, a lot of upset, upfront financial risk, and we need the people that we're sort of like partnering with to become hits, and that's how we make our money. And so 
the 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 model is very similar and that is that is a horror we don't want to become that right like that's the thing we do not want to become right you know because that's like the sort of the classic sort of like the, you know you find all sorts of ways to nickel and dime and do the accounting so that the artist never actually sees anything and like obviously that's like the last thing that we want to be and so how do you build in protection so that you don't become that for like sort of like very reasons and you know? yet you want to be successful and yet you want to be successful and maybe that was the only way they could become successful right. you're Who doing knows, this for your you family know? yeah and, and you want to build a business it's it's tricky it's really tricky i also feel like one other thing point here is that like the record labels there was one way to get music that's right you know and so they controlled access to a pipe and that, that world is changing also so i feel like we're all entering a world where like that old rule of sort of like if the company pays your salary you don't own anything i think we're entering a world where that's going to be less and less true because like people are going to have access to doing it on their own it's never been easier to do it on your own and it's only going to get easier so, the, so though yeah. getting it in front of people remains getting, challenging remains challenging but you don't need you don't need the there's many more ways to get in front of people now than there used to be well yeah. I, I have to say um thank you so much for for doing this yeah um i think that people i mean i just know that i've learned a ton um listening and you know this question because i i love podcasting so much uh of how you know how this whole thing is going to change and shift mm -hmm. um is super compelling and the fact that you're you know, you say you don't do hero. You're the hero of this one, though, right? That's you are telling a hero story. You're always the hero of your own story. There's no, there's never, no one's ever going to change that. So yeah. Al Alex Bloomberg, the hero of his own story, but also if you listen, you'll see, like, you know, he's uh, uh, the hero to to the story of the listener too, because um, uh, he's uh, holding himself um, to a very high standard as he he tries to do this thing. So. Thanks for being here. People can find so uh, Startup on um, iTunes. iTunes or at herestartup.com, H-E-A-R startup.com. You can follow Alex on Twitter at Abex Lumberg, A-B-E-X Lumberg. That's catchy. Yeah. Uh, or I've heard. You, you can follow <laughs> Twitter has spoken about that. me um, at Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Um, and uh, check out Alex's podcast on a day that mine doesn't come out. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.